If you take your scriptures, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, we'll be reading verses 1 through 23. That's the entire chapter. Philippians 4. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Eudia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your cure, care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you share in my distress. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Ephroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Grant us this morning, Heavenly Father, the ability to know you, to know you with all of our heart, and with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. You have brought us into your kingdom through your only begotten Son. Help us not to forget you, Father, and all you've done for us. Open our ears to hear your word and its truth. Open our hearts to receive that truth and transform our minds to apply that truth in our lives. Give us courage to stand fast on the word you have for us this morning. Hold us close. Build us up in your truth. Open your word and guide us in its study. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and the Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, these verses give us a look and the fellowship we have in Jesus Christ. That fellowship, as we will see, centers in worship. 
the center of worship is preaching, as Paul very well knew. Preaching is a very difficult task. You are taking God's word and you're trying to relay its truths to others. In many cases, to people ill-prepared to receive it. It can also at times cause the one preaching great discomfort. There are passages that speak clearly to the, to the one preparing the message. This is why it's best to approach the preaching of God's word systematically. To, that means preaching verse by verse through different books of the Bible. That's the way you cannot avoid difficult passages. You've got to take it, whatever comes. I'm convinced it's the best way to approach preaching. Paul in 2 Timothy 3.16 declares, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This clearly says, Scripture is your guide to living a Christian life. Every verse has wisdom from God, wisdom to lead you through life's circumstances, both individually and as a community of believers. It's, it's your duty to face both that which is easy and that which is hard. In the prayer we just prayed, we ask God and his help in understanding the text that's before us. This is a passage with some very intense practical advice. For me, this is a very personal message and that God called me to preach his word and to be dependent on him for all my needs. It is obvious that it affected the life of Paul in much the same way. I told you previously that we would come back to verse 10. We skipped it before. Well, this is the morning we're coming back to it. Our text is verse 10 and then verses 14 through 18. Now, in these verses, we find Paul first speaking about the responsibility of thanksgiving. Second, he takes up the matter of fellowship's practical sense. Third, he looks at the spiritual encouragement that comes from proper fellowship. Paul received this gift and wrote this letter in thanks for that gift. He says in verse 10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. There's no rebuke in this. He wants to make that clear, so he adds, Not that I speak in regard to needs, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now, you understand, Paul lived through all kinds of circumstances in his life. Through those situations, he learned how to endure. He grew in his ability to live his life for the glory of God, regardless of what was happening and going on around him. Paul explains in verse 14 when he says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you share in my distress. Here we come to the heart of this lesson. It was right that Paul thanked them for their gift, yet Paul made it clear he wasn't in need. The Philippians were under no obligation to give to him. He received their gift and thanked them for it. He was indeed grateful, but he knew the real thanks belonged to God. The reason he feels this way is because he took his needs to God in prayer. He trusted in God for his help. Now, 
there are three types of people you run into when you start reaching out to help others. The first is the person who is too proud to accept any help from anyone about anything. A person with such an independent spirit will, will resent others who try to help them. Somehow, they have the idea such as demeaning. They can never bring themselves to accept the gift with a simple and sincere thank you. The second type is the person who is so conceited, they believe everybody owes them kindness on top of kindness. They take everybody for granted and never say thanks for anything. They believe they deserve what others have worked so hard for. They think they are independent of responsibility to others. This mistake, the mistake both of these types of people make, is they fail to understand no one is truly independent. We all need others. We all need others if we're going to live out this Christian life as witnesses of God's glory. There are so many needs in this life. There's, there's so many things that we require, that we require help if we're going to overcome. We can't do it all by ourselves. You can see these two things in your life at different times. They are common mistakes made by all men. The third type of person is one who is working hard at living a Christian life. They understand their own frailty. They understand their absolute dependence on God for this life. They know how to be humble when receiving help and how to be generous when giving help. They are never conceited about what they have and never demeaned by someone else's offer to help. Paul in his writings lays out for you the answer to the fight you have within your heart about this issue. And we all have it. We struggle with this. He tells you that the church is the body of Christ. The church plays a very vital role in every believer's life. I'm not speaking of the invisible church, but of the local body of believers. This is one of the major functions of the local church. Reaching out to help others. This is not just in regard to material needs. It is in every area of life, social, physical, emotional, and spiritual. As we become members of a local body, everyone redeemed by Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit rejoices in their participation in that body of believers. What a privilege it is. It should be a body that holds to the who and believes in the infallible and inerrant word of God. It should have the three marks of a true church, preaching of the word, proper administration of the sacraments, and loving biblical discipline. It must be organized with godly men in positions of leadership. Why is this so important? Because this is the way God declared he would help his people to grow. Paul used the example of the human body in referring to the church. He said each part of the body was dependent upon all the other parts. If the body is to function and be healthy, each part must make a contribution and work with all the other parts. This includes every area of your life. In the light of this idea, Paul offers thanks to the Philippians for their gift. Now, I want to make sure you don't get lost in this. 
Paul looks past the actions of men. He looks to God as the one behind every circumstance in life. We must do that. We must recognize that. This is precisely why he begins verse 10 saying, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly. While he thanks the Philippians for their gift, it's the Lord in whom he rejoices and rejoices greatly. Paul recognized it was the Spirit of God who motivated these Philippians. He understood they would be blind and deaf to his needs without God's work in their heart. Churches and ministers have to be very careful that they don't allow the gifts people give them to become stumbling blocks in their carrying out the call of God. Paul was not about to allow this to happen to him. He tells the Philippians, thank you. At the same time in his heart, he thanks God who stirred their hearts to give. He makes sure he keeps his dependence fully on God. Paul ultimately, Paul's ultimate dependence is on God and not on men. He knew, as well as pastors and elders must learn, their charge is to keep the preached word free of compromise to material gifts. This is one of the most important reasons for being a part of a good, solid biblical church. A preacher or a session of a church can never allow anyone or their gifts to become the source of their dependence. The preacher must be free to preach the gospel without respect to any person. The session must be free from the same types of influence to help the minister. When a gift is received, the kindness in which it is given should be appreciated and the giver thanked accordingly. Then, the main thanks should be given to God for ultimately it was God who placed the need on the heart of the giver. So in this way, both the giver and the one receiving the gift are blessed by God. Now please remember, the scripture tells you it is appropriate to make your needs known. When someone tells you they have a need, then you have a duty to go before God and seek his will for you in helping meet that need. As a believer, you have to be careful. It's so easy to harden your heart, raise your head, look down your nose and think, oh, this is all their fault. I don't want to help. That was not what Paul and Barnabas did when the Jerusalem council put their needs before them. They went out and they called others to pray and consider this need and many responded with great generosity. It's very important that you remember God meets needs through the actions of other men. He uses men to accomplish his purposes. The help you receive from others, the assistance you give to others, that all comes from the working of God's spirit in both the life and the giver of the giver and the recipient. Paul thanked the Philippians, but he also thanked God. He stood fast in his trust in God regardless of the situation he faced. His eyes were always fixed upon God. This is what is called balance. Thank God for the works of men. Thank men for responding to the grace of God in their hearts. Always remember, 
It's God who is the prime mover in all the circumstances of your life. To have God as the prime mover in your life and heart, you, you have to see yourself as the center you are and the call, and God, the call of God to, make your, to guide you into, into repentance and growth in faith. First, you acknowledge your sin, your need of a Savior. And then you have the Holy Spirit given to you so that he can guide you and direct you in how to live this Christian life. That's very important. That's very important to all of us. We need those two things. If you don't have those two things, then you better start questioning your salvation and you better go back and see about your sin in your own life. To have God as the prime mover in your life and heart is very important. It is only the one who places all of his hope in Jesus Christ that will be able to know the wonderful salvation that comes by grace alone. We look next at the practical side of this fellowship. Verses 14 through 16. Nevertheless, you have done well that you share in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. He begins this section with these words. Nevertheless, you have done well that you share in my distress. The Greek word translated distress here can also be translated pressures or troubles. In other words, they shared in the pressures of his life. They shared in his troubles. What were these pressures and troubles? Paul was a prisoner with a Roman guard chained to him under the threat of execution. These, along with the normal pressures of life, food, clothing, shelter, and support for his ministry, these were the practical details of life, his daily needs. We know Paul, when he could, worked hard to meet the basic needs himself. However, he mainly, throughout his ministry, was utterly dependent on God to supply all his needs. I trust you all realize God doesn't manufacture gold coins in heaven. I don't care what some of the TV evangelists seem to think. He also does not print paper money. The money to do the ministry of the church comes only through the members of the church. It's not to come through bazaars, cake sales, bingo nights, and raffles. It is the duty of the members to support the work of the church. It was the same in Paul's day. Paul was dependent on God moving the hearts of Christians to be concerned about him and his work. It seems clear. The Philippians shared in the troubles Paul experienced in his daily life. They also seemed to have been concerned about his needs caused by his imprisonment and the loneliness that accompanied such a life. These were the people who loved him, who cared for him personally. The Greek word translated shared here is koinonia. It literally means a partaker with. A word closely associated with it is the word koinonia, which is the word for fellowship. The point Paul is making is that Philippians, the Philippians have fellowshiped with him in his troubles. It is a tragedy that today the word fellowship is so misused. 
Today it's mostly used to indicate a, a food, a gathering with food and drink, a time of play, or just talking about the ball games or other such things. Real Christian fellowship is the sharing of your religious experiences. It is the gathering for worship around God's word. We are fellowshipping right now. This is what fellowship really is, gathered around God's word. It can also express the sharing of one another's troubles in a spiritual sense. Does not the scripture tell you to carry one another's burdens, to be hospitable and share your home and food with those in need? True fellowship is sharing in a practical way the doctrinal things you have learned from Scripture. What you see Paul doing is bringing this down in the most practical sense to the sharing of your material wealth. These Philippians entered into fellowship with Paul when they undertook to help him financially. This was a part, a way, this was a very practical way for them to be a part of his ministry. These folks were looking for opportunity to help him. This was true Christian fellowship. They saw Paul not just as a pastor, but as a fellow human being, and they reached out to him in love. There's some good reasons that go into this, some good lessons that come from this. First, to be set apart from ministry is not to be a dehumanizing thing. It doesn't mean those called by God are somehow now less than human. They have, not under, they have not taken some pledge of poverty and unhappiness that says they should be made to live on next to nothing. They still have the same needs, desires, and hopes as everybody else. Now, I have had people tell me about, uh, pastors tell me about experiences they had in going to a church to candidate for that church. The first question the session wants to know from them, or the committee wants to know from them, how much can you get by on? What do you have to have just to get by? And that's what they're doing, is they're paying them just enough to get by. That's not right. They still have the same needs, desires, and hopes as everybody else. Nor does it mean the church can act as though it's exempt from being realistic about their needs in a very practical way. This is exactly what Paul meant when he said, you shared in my pressures. They know he had needs and cared about those needs. Second lesson is that the calling of God separating men out of the ministry brings greater temptations and stronger attacks from both the devil and men. There are pressures most people know nothing about. The devil tries to use everything to keep a minister from preaching the word. He uses financial problems to get a preacher's mind off the word. He will use family troubles to short-circuit a pastor's preparation. But worst of all, he will use the attacks of the very people the pastor is sent to minister to to frustrate and confuse him. Anything to keep his mind off the work to which God called him. The lesson is you need to be an encourager of those who are sent. Third, there is a lesson in spiritual pressure, such as the responsibility for the spiritual welfare of a church. This includes a whole host of things. It's not just one. Things such as preaching the word, ministering to the sick, dealing with the needs of others, evangelizing the lost, lifting his congregation, and encouraging him to be witnesses, helping those who are emotionally hurting, 
All of these things can be exhausting. This is where a really good session becomes such a blessing. God never intended that one man handle all of this himself. That was the reason for giving other officers in the church. That is the lesson to the church. Choose good, godly men to serve with your pastor. Fourth, there are lessons to be learned from persecution, opposition, and misunderstanding that comes to those who stand for God. Understand, most ministers have no way to support themselves. They are called to trust in God and to do so daily. Paul is telling the Philippians they have helped to lift a part of this overwhelming burden from his shoulders. Their gifts over the years have left him free from worry about financial troubles. By this help, they have strengthened him in other important areas of his life. Paul knew God in his mercy placed his needs upon the hearts of the Philippians and stirred them to action. So Paul thanks God for them. When Paul was suffering under the attacks of the Judaizers, it was these very people from Philippi that time and again sent him help, allowing him to face the enemy with less worry because God used them to fulfill his every need. It's so important to be discerning about the needs of your church and your ministers. Paul was overjoyed. These folks had used good Christian common sense for the sake of the gospel. Also for the sake of the God, of the man God set apart to himself to build them up in Christ Jesus. When a church will not follow the example of these Philippians, it's a very sad thing to see. Too many churches rely on rich benefactors and ignore, and ignore their own personal financial duties, both toward their minister and the ministry of the church in general. All of these things are part of the practical working out of the church fellowship. If any of them are neglected, the true spiritual fellowship of the church is placed in danger. Last, we consider the spiritual encouragement that a church must develop for its minister and the congregation. Verses 17 and 18. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Aphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. What's behind these words in Paul's mind? One problem with the minister telling people he has a need is there's always going to be someone there who's going to immediately charge him with just trying to see how much he can get out of the ministry. Yes, even the Apostle Paul had to deal with this. On the other side, if the minister says nothing about his need and it comes out that he had that need, he's accused of false humility. Talk about being between a rock and a hard place. Herein is the reason for Paul's caution in how he presents this. He worked hard to show these people it was on God and God alone that he depended. He lived for God and the work he was called to. So now, he wants to make it clear. This gift is a great blessing, not only to him, but also to them. He shows how their gifts brought great spiritual encouragement into his life. The best way, the best way to show the love of God in your heart is through concern for others. 
It can be a desire to help the unregenerate, a caring for the sick and dying, an eye toward the needs of the poor, a concern for other Christians, mission work, so many of them. I want you to consider a chicken. Let's make it a hen. What's the sign of a healthy hen? A healthy hen will be one that lays eggs. A healthy hen is going to reproduce through those eggs. The sign of a healthy plant is the production of fruit. When the hen doesn't lay eggs or the plant produces no fruit, it's only proper to ask why. It would be prudent to seek what trouble was keeping it from its purpose. When the hen and the plant are the source of your food, it stands to reason you would you would mess around. You'd you'd get busy trying to find out what the problem was and solving it because you like to eat. You can also see this in what the Philippians were sowing. Paul says, "Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account." Paul was looking at how the Philippians had over the years helped him. They gave to him as he went to different places around Macedonia like Thessalonica. He was equating their fruits, their gifts to fruit. They were sowing love and concern for Paul. The scripture clearly teaches what a man sows he will reap. When men give to God, they are blessed. The greatest gift you can give is, of course, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you reach out and tell the lost and dying about Jesus and all he did to save souls, you're being a blessing to all who will hear. But you must not stop at just telling the gospel. You have to back that up. Back it up with works that help those who are less fortunate than you in their social, mental, emotional, material, or spiritual needs. That's how you show your fruit. In verse 18, Paul explains about these gifts. They are a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. These gifts are like smoke that rose up before God, that filled his nostrils with a pleasing and pleasant scent. These are very similar works, or words that he used, the Apostle Paul used in Ephesians 5.2, when he spoke of the sacrifice of Christ. Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul understood these gifts cost the Philippians a great deal. They were not giving, given out of their excess. They were given sacrificially out of the sustenance they lived on. It was a sacrifice for them to collect the gift and to send it to him. The thing this teaches that you must ever keep in mind is that at the heart of Christianity, there's always a sacrifice. It's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. This means there is a cross in all Christian commitment. You cannot live a Christian life without a sacrifice. Paul makes it clear in Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Paul tells the Philippians, this is a very acceptable and pleasing thing before God. The Philippians gave to Paul with a true and right motive. 
They were concerned about him as a fellow Christian. They were anxious about the local church. They were desirous of the kingdom of God. The real reason behind their gift was their gratitude for the gift of Jesus Christ. They gave out of their love for God. That's what we do in salvation. We see ourselves as sinners. We see our need of a Savior. We accept Christ as our Savior. And then in order to show our true faith, we do the works of faith and we show others love and concern for their souls. These people desired to be a part of the spreading of the gospel of Christ around the world. They wanted to see hearts made anew and lives changed. They were anxious about the servant of God and because of a true heartfelt concern, Paul tells them how God sees their great and wonderful gifts. He says he sees them as the thing sent from you as a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. These people did not give to make Paul feel indebted to them. They gave with a true heartfelt motive. They gave to bring glory to God, not like Cain, whose gift God had no regard for. They gave because they saw the importance of fellowship with God and with each other. They saw the church as important to the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, this was just one local church among many. Paul says they stood out because they understood the importance of their working and worshiping together. They recognized spiritual encouragement comes only through such local churches. Now, do you really know what the message is behind these verses? It's that you, having claimed Jesus Christ and his gospel as your only hope, must now begin to live in that hope. You must associate yourself with the local church. You must begin giving of your time, talent, and money that everyone in that church can grow in spiritual encouragement. God gave his only begotten son, and through him, you're given the forgiveness you so desperately need. You are given the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and without charge, that you might come into the presence of the Father. Didn't cost you a dime. He gives you all of these benefits, not because you deserve them. For according to your nature, you deserve nothing but hell. You receive God's love through Jesus as a gift. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Is not the Lord Jesus Christ the unspeakable gift? So if you have received so much, and without cost to you, should there not be a great upsurge of your, the love of God within your heart? Should your heart not be filled with gratitude to God that, sh that shows in, in, in a changed life, that shows in, in the way you live your life? Should there not be a new way of life for you? A life that produces fruit. Should you not desire to see this wonderful gospel delivered to all? How do you begin to show these changes? You join a local body of believers and become a part of God's plan. 
Through that body, you help provide the means whereby this glorious gospel can be proclaimed to the world. This process begins by you recognizing yourself as a sinner, lost and without hope in and of yourself. You turn to Jesus Christ and seek his forgiveness and ask him to cleanse your soul. You examine your heart and place your hope and trust in Jesus and in the works he did to redeem your soul. As you do this, you're a part of exalting Christ, and through this exalting, you bring glory and honor to God. This is the true fellowship in Christ. This is what being in a local body is, fellowship in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, you told us through James that we should consider it pure joy whenever we face trials because through the testing of our faith we grow in perseverance so that we might become more and more mature. You have promised that if we fall short in God in wisdom, we can ask you and you will help us to grow in understanding. You will come to all who believe and trust in Jesus Christ. You will strengthen them and keep them from being unstable. You will not let them fall into doubt and be double-minded. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your promises and your fulfillment of those promises through Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.